It was, it was a beautiful day in August. Just last year, actually, 2016. Our oldest son in England was texting us and said that he had to FaceTime with us right away. So we got on the the great technology that we have today and saw him face to face and we knew something was really wrong. And he said something to us that most parents never want to hear. Dad, Mom, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. It's almost unbelievable to hear that from a 31-year-old who, for all intensive purposes, was healthy and was doing really well. And as a parent, I can't even begin to tell you what it felt like to hear that from your son. You know, um, you, know, you know those moments in your life where language and words just don't fit? They just totally escape everything that you're feeling. I can't tell you the, the, the darkness that kind of envelops you in those moments. I can't tell you the amount of guilt that washes over you. You know, is there something that we did as parents? Is there something that we could have done as parents? Is there something that, you know, is, 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 is a fault in our gene pool that allowed this to happen? You know, is there, you know, there's all kinds of things that wash over you as a parent when you get that kind of news. And, you know, uh, we, we loved the fact that so many people came around us at that time. So many people, you know, came and, and supported us. It, but there were, there were some hurtful moments, too. You know, there were those people that because, you know, we're in ministry, you know, they kind of implied, well, maybe God's judging you. Maybe there's something that you've done before God that is punishing you. Then there were others that kind of said, well, you know, because you're in ministry and you're a God person, and, you know, can you just, you know, uh, get past it so you can help me? You know, there's, there's that kind of thing. You know, but there's lots that, that happens when you're introduced to that kind of a weight in your life. And it's a heavy weight because there's moments in your life that, you know, even though I'm a, I'm a guy that loves to fix everything and even though I'm a guy that gets invited into all kinds of different relationships and, and, and people, you know, want advice or how, how do we correct this and all that stuff, you know, I'm at a total loss. I'm totally helpless. And it becomes one of those things that, you know, like the sermon series says, heavy weights. Because that's all you can do is kind of wait. Now, we're going to learn about what you should be doing in these, in these moments. But, it's, but it's, it's heavy. And it's a weight. 
And many of us in this room, we're not, we're not the first ones to experience this. We're not going to be the last ones to experience this. But that's, but that's what happens is that you have, you know, you, you can't fix it. You can't correct it. You can't do something about it. You know, uh, we, you know, we wanted to get on a plane right away and just go hug him is all we wanted to do at, at that moment more than anything else. And yet here we were with this incredible weight and all we could do was pray and wait. And that's all you can do. And there's some of you in this room, there's many of you in this room who, who have been there. You know, it's not like you can, you know, turn a switch and fix it. You're not like you can, you know, just, you know, correct it by, by whatever. Not, you can't, you know, call in the infantry and, and, you know, take care of the problem. It's like, it's an it's a incredible problem. It's very heavy. It weighs on you, and it just takes everything for you to manage a day. And yet, that's all you can do is wait. And it's a heavy, heavy wait. So in the next four weeks, we're going to talk about those most difficult moments in life. And what I love about the God that we serve, that what I love about the Christian faith is that it deals with the heaviest moments of our lives when we're caught just waiting, that we're waiting on God. That's, that's the beauty. Um, you know, and and it's, it's my opinion that nothing, nothing, you know, philosophically, uh, religiously, uh, even dares to speak into the darkness or speak into the void of your life like the Christian faith does. And it's beautiful. It's not easy, but it's beautiful nonetheless. And, you know, we're looking at a passage of Scripture today that um, is considered the longest, one of the longest cries for help in the entire Bible. And it comes out of the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 69 is... is what it is. And what is interesting about, about this particular psalm as we look at it this morning is that it comes from King David, the king of Israel. And, you know, kind of like your first response is, as you read the psalm, you say, wait a minute, here's the most powerful person in the nation of Israel. What possible problem could he have? What possible weight could he have? What possible difficulty could he be experiencing that as the king he could not fix? Or as a person of power, he could not do something to un, you know, to take it away, to un, you know, undo the problem. And yet here we have this king who, you know, writes to the choir director, and it's I find it very interesting uh, that the very top end, the, the, the superscription of this particular psalm says to be sung to the tune of lilies, to the tune of lilies. Now, we have no idea what the tune is, we, you know, but I, 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 probably, I probably would venture to say it's probably the first blues song, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that we've got, you know. And, and what, I love about, what I love about David and reading the Psalms, especially, you know, those lament Psalms that they call, is that he gives us a language 
that when the darkness overwhelms, when we're waiting upon God, he gives us a language that allows us to express what it is that's going on inside. So this is a beautiful psalm, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to make a, a weight of the series, um, you know, I, but, I, but I think there's times in our lives where we can celebrate what it is to be human, to have the difficulties and the frailties of life, but what it means most of all about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, what's interesting to me about the biblical writers is that there was no contradiction for them between the reality of life and a good God and a sovereign God who was in control of everything. There was, there was no contradiction there. We struggle with that in our modern culture because we think, we think a God who's in control of everything has to fix everything the way we expect him to fix. And God's not bent on our expectations, honestly. He's bent on his character, on his purposes, as difficult as they are in our lives. So here's a beautiful psalm that's going that's to, we're going to unpack. Now, it's a long psalm, and I won't be able to unpack all of it, but, we'll, but we will kind of go into, into spaces a bit. Now, for those of you that are in life groups, I'm going to add a little, a little bit. Um, one of the sections that I'm not dealing with this morning is an anger section. Um, uh, David actually starts saying, God, take my enemies and, you know do stuff to them. You know, it's, the, it's, it's an anger se- segment. If you've ever experienced a, a heavy weight in your life, you know that there's a time where anger is going to come out and be prominent and, pre- and prevalent in your life. And, and David expresses this beautifully about what he wishes God would do if God's in control, is take care of the enemies that he wants to Ask God to take care of. So here, here is the beginning of the psalm. Uh, Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. And many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. Interestingly enough, in the Gospel of John, John uses the section of uh, Psalm 69 and and applies it to Jesus. And applies it to Jesus. All right? Can we, uh, let's, let's keep reading. Even my own brothers pretend they don't know me. They treat me like a stranger. Passion for your house has consumed me. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I weep and fast, they scoff at me. When I dress in burlap to show sorrow, they make fun of me. I am the favorite topic of town gossip, and all the drunks sing about me. I love that last line. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm, I'm deep in sorrow, and even the drunks are singing about me. Like, that's how bad it is, right? You know, can you imagine? Can you imagine, right? Um, let's keep going. I'm going to read a bit of this psalm. But I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time will show me favor. In your unfailing love, O God, answer my prayer with your sure salvation. 
Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me and pull me from these deep waters. Don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep waters swallow me or the pit of death devour me. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me, for your mercy is so plentiful. And don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am, for I am in deep trouble. You know, I, I love that psalm. It kind of expresses much of how you feel. You know, we've, we've all been in that place where the water's right here, right? And even if you open your mouth to take a breath, you're gulping water. You ever, you ever been in that situation? And you just don't know what to do. I know, when I, I know when we got the news about Michael, it was like my heart was torn out of my chest. It got kicked around by every, you know, by, you know, all around the neighborhood. And then when they were done kicking it around, they sort of like threw it over the fence into the water, let it drown for a while and all that stuff, and then tried to suck it back into my chest. You know, it's just, it's just the way you feel. And you read the psalm and you kind of go, yeah, I'm, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm there. Right? I'm there. And what do you do? Where do you go? What do you hold on to? How do you, how do you manage how do, you, how, do you, how do you see another day? How do you, you know, how do, how do you, man, how do you, you know, how? Just how, right? Here's, here's something that I realized in the darkness is the longer uncertainty lingers, the more helpless we feel. That the longer the uncertainty lingers, the more helpless you feel. You know, um, with, with every round of chemo that Michael was going through, there was always this waiting for what are the answers going to be? What, you know, what are these tests this time going to show? What, what's, what's going on? And you're always, you're always praying for favorable you know, answers to, that, to the test. But, but, that's, but that's not always the case. There were many times when the doctor said, you know, we've got to do this all over again. Or the doctors would say, uh, we took care of it in this one section, but it's morphed over here. And you go, how many versions of this thing are there? Right? You know? But, it, but, but the longer uncertainty... You see, we want to be in control. We want certainty at the end of the day. We don't, we don't like being in a vacuum. We don't like knowing what tomorrow's... You know, that, that there's no real answer for tomorrow. Right? We, don't, we don't like being in this place of uncertainty. We want to be able to control the situation. We want to be able to control the circumstances. I totally get it. But the more helpless we feel when you don't really have answers. Have you ever heard everybody said, all I want, all I want, all I want to know is the answer. All I want is the truth. And then I can deal with it from then. Right? You've, you've heard people say that. Because we don't like uncertainty. We just don't like it. You know, at least give us the bad news. In all of its rawness, give us the bad news. You know, let me crash, and then I'll try and deal with it from there. Okay? That's, that's what happens, right? And we feel helpless. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. The more helpless you feel, the more hopeless you become. The more helpless you feel, the more hopeless you'll end up becoming. And that's... And, and, and this entire message is rotating around this one word, this one 
expression, this one concept that I, I believe wholeheartedly is purely a Christian concept. I've said many, many times, only the Christian faith is allowed to use this word as far as I'm concerned. And the only, the, only, the only word that belongs in the Christian faith is this word called hope. This four-letter word called hope. Because in moments when your weights are the heaviest is where your hope resides. And there's very little in this life that can give you the kind of hope that the Christian faith can give you when you're carrying a heavy weight. Now, here's, here's what happens. When, when help is nowhere in sight, here are the three things that go through your mind. And, you know, I'm, I'm the paid Christian guy, okay? And they went through my mind too, right? I'm the guy paid to do this, all right, in many ways. But, but here are three questions that make, make us feel help, helpless. Does God care? Does God care? Now, there are so many books, okay? Let me, let me tell you something. There's so many books that say, um, you're going you're gonna to wonder about the sovereignty of God. You know, you, know, you know what? I don't care about the sovereignty of God. Can I tell you that? Because I know God is sovereign. I don't care who's on the throne. I care about the character of the person who's on the throne. God is on the throne, but I want to know if God cares. See, anything, anybody could be on the throne. They could be, you know, a, 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 an autocrat demanding whatever. Right? But I know God is sovereign. I care about the character of who is on the throne. Same as, you know, that's true of government. Whoever's in government, I care more about what their character is as opposed to who's on as a government. Right? That is far more important. And that's what's important to me about does God really care? That's the question that goes, you know. A sovereign who sits on the throne better care about the people that he oversees and is, and is in control of. Don't, don't you, don't you want to know if God cares? Don't you want to know that the very details of your life, no matter how small, no matter how large, no matter how difficult, no matter how much they're your own fault or your own bad decisions, whatever, you want to know that God cares. You want to know that God is going to take you from where you are and move you into a place that's far better. Okay? Does God care? Number one. Number two, is God for me or against me? You know? Um, I, it, it was surprising to me the, the kind of implications that maybe, maybe God is trying to teach you something. Frankly, I could have learned that lesson a lot easier. You know, frankly, right? You know, is God for me or, or against me? And, and, and many times we think when, when you know, right? How many times I have people say, maybe the universe is against you. <laughs> so, yeah, really? Okay, you know, maybe the universe is against you. Maybe, maybe it's just fate, right? You know, but is God for me or against me? And you, and you wonder, and you wonder, Right? That's a common thing. Last thing is, is God even good? Is God good? Those are the questions that you wrestle with, right? Even, and, and, and listen, if you're a non-believer here this morning, you've wrestled with those questions. 
In fact, if you're a non-believer here this morning, that is probably one of the reasons why you're a non-believer. Because you can't manage those questions at all. Those questions are just too difficult for you. And in fact, you'd rather just throw it out there for the universe or whatever and think it's just a process that happens scientifically or, or whatever, biologically, and it's just the reality of what happens. Okay? I am much more comfortable with God being in control in a fallen world. Always, always have been, always will be. But we doubt whether or not God is even good in those moments. Because when, you, when you're in the midst of a heavy, heavy weight, you wonder if that's at all possible. Let me continue reading this, the part of the psalm that I want to look at. I am suffering and in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. Then. Then. Can you say it with me? Then. That's the, that's the turning point in the entire psalm. The then becomes the turning point often in your heavy weight. The then becomes the difference of the light beginning to shine in the heaviest of the darkness. Then I will praise God's name with singing and I will honor him with thanksgiving. For this will please the Lord more than sacrificing cattle, more than presenting a bull with its horns and hooves. The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help be encouraged. For the Lord hears the cries of the needy. He does not despise his imprisoned people. Here is, here is, here is the twist of the then, and this is the reality of what, of what happens, that hope is most powerful when we feel most powerless. See, when we're in a heavyweight moment and we don't know what to do and we can't fix it and we can't control it and we can't make a difference and all we can do is pray and all the things, it all depends on what it is that you hope in. The darkness and the blackness and, and, and the, you know, the discouragement of the time just becomes worse when you feel totally helpless and you have no hope. Hope is the one thing that generates a reality that this has a possibility to be corrected and to be fixed, right? Hope is most powerful when we feel most powerless because when we are the most powerless, we have, we have, we can, God have to believe in something. We can't think it's just going to end there. We just got to hope in something. And what you hope in makes all the difference in the world. You can hope for the universe to fix it. You can hope for fate to come around and start smiling. You can start sacrificing to the Greek gods, I dare you. But there's only one hope that counts. There's only one hope that matters. There's only one hope that makes a difference. Okay? And when the moments that you feel the most powerless, that's when hope rises. That's when hope becomes real. That's when the very things that you believe carry you through those moments more than anything else. 
more than anything else. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make this such a downer for everybody, okay? But it's just, it's, it's, it's a reality, right? Here, here is, um, now, I want to give you four distinctives of hope, biblical hope, okay? Because this word is, you know, um, we did a sermon ser- series a uh, few months back, and I talked about little hope versus, bi- versus capital H hope, right? We, tr- we treat, on a pedestrian level, we talk about little h hope. And little h hope is like a, a wish. You might as well play the lottery, right? I, you know, I hope this, or, you know, I hope I pass my exam and all that stuff. The Bible doesn't deal in little h hope, okay? The, di- the Bible deals with big h hope, all right? And as a believer, as a Christian, that's, that's where you live. You live in the big H hope. That's where Darlene and I, for the last year and a bit, have lived, is in the big H hope. We know whatever happens to Michael, he is in God's hands. That's big H hope. And we dare not treat biblical hope like a lottery We dare not treat it like a wish list, okay? Because it's very important. Here are the four biblical distinctives of of hope. Hope is fostered by, number one, the promises of God. For the prophets and for the biblical writers, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. They, their hope rested in the promises of God. Look at the second exile. And you've got, you know, you've got Daniel and, 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 you know, there in Nebuchadnezzar's land, and he, he's reading the promise of God that their captivity would only last 70 years. And he's getting to the end of, of the time that they're away, and he's saying, oh, God promised that in 70 years the exile is over, so we're almost done, and we get to go back home. That is, that is big H hope for the prophet Daniel, knowing that his people were soon going to be allowed to go back home because God's promises, God's word said so. There are many moments, there are many things that we can hope in as believers in Jesus Christ that we know that eternity is a sure thing, that the very, you know, the biggest questions that we have about life, the biggest questions and fears that we have about life is exactly where the Bible gives us surety and assurance. That's, you know, I, I, I say to my students in class all the time, the Bible is really clear when it comes to the big questions about life. When it comes to the really big questions about, well, what, what happens when we die? You know, uh, how, do, how do we get to heaven? All of those kinds of things. The Bible's extremely clear. We treat the Bible as not being very clear. A lot of gray areas. And, oh, you can interpret it this way, interpret it. That's nonsense. You know, the reality is, is we don't want to, to really fully embrace the truth. You guys okay? Okay? Yeah? That's, that's, you know, when it comes, listen, the Bible's extremely clear. The more important the question, the Bible is the clearer, more more clear when when it's a really important question. If it's a gray area, if we get to play a little bit around, if we get to have some variety and all that stuff, that's when the Bible gives us choices. But the more important the question, the more clear the Bible 
is. So the promises of God are, are, are there for each and every one of us. Number two, prayer. Prayer. Can't tell you how many middle-of-the-night sessions with God that we've had over the last year or so. Prayers that, um, you know, were, were more sobs than words. And you've been there. Many of, you, many of you have been there that you just don't even know what to pray about. You know, uh, Book of Romans says, you know, that the Spirit of God groans. Where, you know, I, it, I don't think I've experienced that passage more than I did in the last year where I just really didn't know what to say or how to say it. And yet, God heard me. The prayer that became the only vital link, the only tangible thing that we could do in a, in a moment when there was a heavy weight in our lives, right? Number three is the Spirit of God. How many times the Spirit of God um, would carry us? There, there were times that, that the day demanded time in a particular way that I didn't feel I had the strength in the moment to, to accomplish. And I can, I can honestly say that the Spirit of God is what carried you know, there was times I wanted to check out and just run and just get away. And you've all, you've all been there. You've all had those moments where you just want to run. It doesn't matter where, you, you know, you just run. Even Jonah had a destination, but you just want to run, right? You don't care where, you know. Well, I, I would. I'd go south. I wouldn't go north, right? Just, just a reality for me, right? You know, you know what I mean? And you just, you just want to run. That's, that's absolutely the re- reality. And you feel like you're being carried by the Spirit of God, okay? Here's the last one, and a very important one, is, is other believers. Other believers. I don't know how we would have managed without some of you in our lives. Honestly. For the amount of people that have held us up during this time, it's just been, it's just been amazing. But other believers, and for, for many of you, you know what it's like when you just can't cope or you can't manage or it's just been difficult and someone has come along and they've been the hands and feet of Jesus for you at that point, right? And they've carried you and they've, and they've, and they've been there for you and they've seen the gospel come you know, through f- for you. And you look back on it and you say, you know what, I would never have been able to manage without other believers in our lives. That's, that's, that's how hope is fostered. That, that is how hope manifests itself biblically in the life of the church, in the life of believers. You know? The fact is, the fact is, the fact is, we have never felt alone unless we wanted to be. Unless we wanted to be. Now, I'm not Mr. Warm and Fuzzy, I know. I know. I'm not, I'm not Mr. Huggy, okay, and all that stuff. But I'm getting better. 
I'm very upset that you're wearing me down. <laughs> Please stop. Okay. Very upset that you're wearing me down. Right? But, you know, what, what's a heavy weight in your life? Do you have a heavy weight that you're going through right now? What, what, what are you hoping in? Who are you hoping in? Have you given up praying to the Lord because you're in this season of waiting and you've just given up because you feel helpless? And if you feel helpless, you are starting to feel hopeless. That is not where God wants you to be. Have we learned a lot of stuff in the last year? Oh, boy, I can't tell you. I can't tell you the lessons. Would I have wanted to learn those lessons the way we did? No, not really. But they're there nevertheless. And as we wait upon God, as we wait upon God, there's no better place to be. As difficult as it is, there's no better place to be. Now, just as an update... Um, Michael's latest round of chemo has brought him within 10% of normal blood levels. Yes. Yeah. So that's, you know, huge for us. Huge for us and our family. So can I just thank you for your prayers and holding us up? Because it is a heavy weight in our lives. And I thank you for the community that's holding us up and continues to pray. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm and the words of David as he experiences a heavy weight in his life and is pleading to God. And Thank you that as we were reading that psalm, how many of us felt that they were our words being copied by David. Lord, there are moments in our lives where there really isn't nothing we can do. That the weight of the reality and the situation is such that it overwhelms us. And all that we can really do is get on our knees before you. We thank you that you are a God of hope. A God that we can turn to in the most difficult of times. And Lord, you feel the weight of our hearts. You know the difficulties and you are able to carry us in those moments where we are unable to carry ourselves. Thank you for Jesus for willingly dying on a cross to bear the burden of our sin, which includes the fallenness of this creation where there's so much disease and disaster and difficulties that are so far beyond our control in many ways. And yet we believe in a sovereign God who loves us, who is good, who is for us, not against us, and does care. 
So, Lord, we commit these things to you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.